1: which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair's too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L O L A V I E. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is brought to you by GroCo Postnatal Rehab. GroCo was founded in 2018 by chiropractor Dr. Ali Kane when she was 32 weeks pregnant with her first baby. She wanted to create a rehab program that supported women through the physical, mental, and emotional challenges of motherhood. The GrowCo methodology is aimed at preventing, reducing, and resolving symptoms women have been made to think are an inevitable consequence of childbirth. Between Monday, November 23rd and Monday, November 30th, you have the chance to get 50% off your one-time payment to become a GroCo member. Classes stream 24-7 so you're able to do them whenever it works best for you. There's also a weekly live class with a GroCo doctor and also a monthly master class. The goals of GroCo are to be accessible to women, be supportive, but also provide them with a high quality rehab program. Everything is focused on your core and your pelvic floor, which you guys know that I love. Now that we are settled into our new home, I am signed up for GroCo and I'm starting next week. So if you guys want to start this program with me, join and I will probably do some Instagram lives or some IGTVs just to share with everyone my thoughts and struggles or things that I like about the program. So again, between Monday, November 23rd and Monday, November 30th, you will get 50% off this program and it is important to note that it is a one-time payment. So you have access to all this goodness for a lifetime. Your pelvic floor will thank you. To find out more details, please go to the episode notes and I will have all the links for you guys in there. Okay, so today I am speaking with Jenna Overbaugh. She is a licensed therapist in Wisconsin who has been working with individuals, families, and children since 2008. She has a blog, a podcast called All the Hard Things, and a beautiful website with lots of free resources. Um, She reached out to me about doing an episode on anxiety and OCD in pregnancy and motherhood and I was so happy when I read her outline um, because of the things she wanted to talk about. So here we are. So first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your own experience with anxiety and OCD?
0: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I think especially now with the pandemic and moms being in such a vulnerable position with maybe having to stay home more or having to manage the whole like school daycare scenario more. It's so important that we reach moms and dads too, as much as possible. So thank you for allowing me this opportunity. And I think what you do is great too, just offering solidarity to moms and all of that stuff. So oh, thank you. I have, growing up, I was always, I think, an anxious kid. Um, I remember just even before school, I would get really nervous. I would get anxious and have like a stomach ache. But I was always that kid too, who was like the first person to introduce themselves at school or those awkward icebreakers the first day of school. Like I would be the first one to do it because I loved doing hard things. And I loved challenging myself. And I knew that as I continued to not listen to that anxious voice, it would get easier. And then in college, I actually in one of my psych courses, I learned that that was an actual treatment kind of for anxiety and OCD. And so what that is, is it's called exposure and response prevention. ERP. And once I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is me. This is, I believe in this so much and I love it. And so from that point on, I really made OCD and anxiety my focus. Um, And I worked all over. Like I had dream jobs. I worked at Johns Hopkins. I am now in one of the most world renowned facilities to help people with the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. And so when I got pregnant, With my kiddo. He was born um, February of 2018 on Valentine's Day. I thought I knew all about postpartum anxiety. I knew all about postpartum OCD. And I was actually, I think, fairly naive going into it. I thought that I was almost immune to these issues because I knew so much and because, you know, I was educated in the area. I knew what I should do and what I shouldn't do in order to kind of make those problems not crisis problems. Um, so when I had my child, I felt that I just wasn't instantly bonded to him like I expected to be. Um, the first couple of weeks weren't bad, but as he got a little bit older, I started to notice I was having just awful, awful intrusive thoughts about a couple of things, a couple of ways that this like manifested for me was I was terrified that I was going to leave him somewhere so I remember I would be driving with him in the back seat and I could see the car seat in the back seat. I I could hear him like gooing and cut and like, you know, laughing or whatever. And I was like, but what if what if what if that's not real? Like what if I'm I I'm not clear on what I'm seeing right now? What if I can't hear him? I would legitimately pull over and have to like touch him to make sure that he was in the car seat. And then that just made me feel so much worse because I was like, I know what I should, I know that I shouldn't have done that. Like I should know better than to have done that. What's going on with me? Like, I just felt almost worse because I had all this information because I was not following that. I almost felt like then I'm a fraud. Like I'm a total imposter on top of being anxious And so that I remember thinking so vividly, like, if if this is how badly I'm struggling with anxiety and OCD, and I know all of this stuff, like I have the context for it, I can't let other women struggle like this. Like, I have to do something. And so I kind of pivoted.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that's how I felt um, because I made the choice. I take citalopram every day for anxiety. And even though it's a low dose, it's one of those things where when you get pregnant, they're kind of like, well, you have to weigh your, your like pros and cons and decide if you want to stay on it. So For me, I decided to stay on it and my pregnancy was awesome. Um, I didn't have any issues. But then the first couple weeks after Milo was born, I had like raging anxiety that would Mm -hmm. like present mostly when the sun started to go down. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm taking medication and this is how I feel. So I can just imagine, like you said, how other people must feel like So yeah, same, same thing. And, and with me as well, like I knew what to look for. I knew kind of what to expect and it's still like, you can't control it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what's worse. It's all, it's all worse, right? Like I would never, I would never wish this on Anybody, now that I'm out of the cloud, and I feel it even stronger now. But even when I was in the thick of it, I was like, oh my gosh, I would not wish this on my worst I enemy. Mean, no mom should have to go through this. And the statistics I want moms to know like, you can easily look up the statistics for perinatal OCD and anxiety. Um, meaning like when you're pregnant, what, what, what percentage of the population struggle with it? I think it's, it's like one or 2%. And then when you're actually, when you have the baby, I think it goes up to like two or 3% actually have OCD and 10%, I think actually have like generalized anxiety, But I think that's completely underreported. So Mm -hmm. I think one, those are all based off of actual diagnoses, right? So in order to get a diagnosis, you have to present for help, how many women aren't able to or don't feel like they need to just yet, right? And so I think that automatically makes the numbers jump up. And then two, we can think of these things on a spectrum. It's not either you have anxiety or you don't or you have o c d or you don't, especially as a mom. Things are just so dang complicated, so we gotta think about things as existing on a spectrum and I guess moral of the story is a lot of people struggle, and I don't think that it's just two or three percent like there's no way, <laughs> yeah.
1: Simplify your kids mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com/momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first little spoon order. And it's it's one of those things too like when it comes to mental health. It's like not not a lot of people receive an actual diagnosis, but it doesn't mean that you're not struggling. And yep. it's the same like I was in eating disorders for so long like in my research. And a lot of people do not fit into an eating disorder diagnosis, but that doesn't mean they don't have problems. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing, right? Like, I probably wouldn't have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder in my postpartum, but it doesn't mean that I wasn't, you know, crying my eyes out every night and I wasn't struggling. Mm -hmm. So that's like super important that the numbers are just based off of a diagnosis and not like, these are the people who have problems. Well, no, like it's, it's gotta be a higher number because literally everyone I talk to has had some kind of anxiety or like you were saying, intrusive thoughts, um, happen in postpartum.
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. Research has shown actually, I think the most recent one and the most consistent one is that 99% of people in general Again, I will say especially moms, 99% of the population experience intrusive thoughts. Again, I think that's BS. I think 100% of people experience intrusive thoughts. I think that 1% maybe just didn't understand the question or maybe they're afraid of saying that. Um, but intrusive thoughts, I mean, we have like something ridiculous, like six, 60,000 thoughts a day or something like that, maybe more. There's mm-hmm. no way that all of those can make sense and be in line with our values and you know, be calm and neutral, like at least a couple of those thoughts, especially when our hormones are going nuts after we just gave birth or when we're pregnant, like, and we have all of this mental load and we have all these environmental stressors. There's no way that you're not going to have some intrusive thoughts. In fact, fear is part of the human experience. Like if we didn't have fear, especially as moms, we wouldn't survive and the babies wouldn't survive. So there's definitely an evolutionary piece to this. Fear's not going anywhere. Like fear is going to be along for the ride. And if we don't want to get rid of fear completely, because that indicates to us that there may be something there that we need to be vigilant for.
1: Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, when you were struggling with anxiety and intrusive thoughts, what, what did that look like for you?
0: So it's for me, what I remember feeling is just this dark cloud, like this doom feeling like if I, and I normally love this stuff, like I love Halloween, I love haunted houses, what it felt like to me was that feeling like when you're walking around a haunted house and you, f- you like know that something is going to jump out at you and you know that something bad is going to happen, but you just don't know when or how, and yes. you're kind of just really tight and you're on the lookout for things. Like that was me for probably the first year and a half of my son's life. Wow. Um, I remember... I remember like I was cutting I was making dinner one night and my husband came he was he came in and I was like cutting an onion with a really sharp knife and I was something happened my dog barked or you know he closed a door too loud or something and I was shaking so hard I couldn't even touch the knife or like I couldn't cut the onion and I was like this is like I I just can't (laughs) like and then of course the whole shame cycle right like I should know better what's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, eventually I got into a really awesome therapist, which I can talk about later. And I got on medications, which there are plenty that you can take when you're breastfeeding. There are plenty that you can take when you um, are pregnant. So we can get into that later. But yeah, it yeah. ended up saving my life and being the best decision for my family and for me, for sure. Yeah,
1: the way I describe anxiety, because my husband doesn't understand what anxiety feels like. Um, and I the way I tried to explain it to him was... Like when I have really bad anxiety and you're just kind of like you're crying because exactly what you said, you feel almost like the world is ending, but nobody Mm -hmm. else knows it. But you, Mm -hmm. Um, I always explain like the physical feeling of when you think you're about to rear end another car and you get that like jolt throughout your body. But in the car. Like once you realize there's no danger and you're not gonna hit the car, it just instantly goes away. But when you have like an anxious episode, it just doesn't go away. And Mm -hmm. you're just like living in that like heightened like sense of like something bad is about to happen.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I can relate to my husband is one of the most unflappable people ever. (laughs) And so it was really difficult. Like I would almost get envious of him sometimes, not that I would want anyone, especially him to experience this, but it's one more thing that makes us feel awful about the experience. Right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, there was, it's just such a dark, dark feeling. And But everything that you're saying, right, like you're talking a lot about fear and anxiety. And like I said, fear has a place in motherhood, unfortunately, like from an evolutionary standpoint, if we weren't anxious about our child being okay, if we weren't anxious about them breathing in the middle of the night, like from an evolutionary standpoint, the baby probably like babies probably wouldn't survive at the rate that they do. And so what where it goes wrong, though, is where we aren't able to where where we just kind of go crazy with those behaviors. And we do them so repetitively, we don't just check on our baby one time at night, we are like zooming in on the camera, and we're checking on them multiple times. Um, I remember there was one time where I went to go and pick up my infant, um, and something happened, like his neck, like, like went backwards or something. And I, we, we came very close, maybe an inch or two from hitting like a corner in our dresser and he Mm. did not hit it. Like I, he did not cry. He was sleeping. Um, I checked his head. And it's, it still wasn't enough. Like I, I literally was thinking like, did I miss him crying? Like, did I black out because I'm so tired? Did I black out that whole episode of him crying? Like, am I so tired that I can't see the cut on his head? And I remember I had to wake my, my husband up from like a dead sleep and have him check my baby because I needed to be a hundred percent sure that I didn't hurt him on accident and that he didn't have a concussion or that he wasn't bleeding. Like that's when evolutionarily like that doesn't make sense anymore. That's OCD. That's, that's anxiety wreaking complete havoc.
1: So what are some other, I know you mentioned like there's very common kind of intrusive thoughts or like fears that new moms especially have when the infant is still you know like really dependent upon them and tiny and has mm-hmm. the soft spot on their head um so what are some common things that new moms struggle with with regard to like intrusive thoughts
0: yeah so Right when we become pregnant, or and especially once we have the baby, we experience as moms something called a rapid increase in responsibility. And so if, it's, if there are two things that OCD and anxiety hate, it's one, responsibility. So being accountable to somebody else, um, having someone else rely on you. It's just so much more accountability. And two is uncertainty. So responsibility and uncertainty are just festering breeding grounds for OCD and anxiety to latch on. And what is motherhood except for like responsibility (laughs) and uncertainty, right? Like it is the perfect melting pot for every mom to feel these cognitive, like racing thoughts, these behavioral urges to want to like avoid staircases. And, you know, emotionally it just feels very anxiety provoking. So some common things that I hear moms struggle with is, Um, Harm intrusive thoughts. So what these are, first of all, intrusive thoughts are just any thought that comes in kind of out of nowhere, that is experienced as very disturbing and disruptive. And you're kind of like, Whoa, where the heck did that come from? And like I said, we all experience intrusive thoughts, not just about babies, but about it could be about anything. It could be about, um, you know, especially with the pandemic, there's a lot of more contamination intrusive thoughts going on. There's, we can all have intrusive thoughts, right? So where it goes wrong is we can have intrusive thoughts and we can kind of experience them and be like, well, that's weird. And we can kind of Mm -hmm. shrug them off and keep moving about our day. Or when we're, especially when we're moms and we have all this responsibility and we have a lot of uncertainty, we're going to experience that intrusive thought the same way that anybody else would, but we're going to do, instead of shrugging it off, we're going to do things like we're going to take responsibility for the thought. We're going to, like okay, so responsibility for the thought means like, what does that mean about me? Like, I must be such a bad mom that I had that thought. Other moms don't have that thought. What is that about me that made me have that thought? You'll judge the thought. So instead of just acknowledging it as a strange human experience, because our brains are super complicated, you judge the thought as being negative and I have to get rid of it. And I don't want to have that thought ever again. So some common themes here are going to be harm intrusive thoughts, whether it's accidental or purposeful. So scare cases are really hard and like heights of any kind are really usually very hard for parents. Um, Yeah. Like feeling like, oh my gosh, what? I had an intrusive thought. Like, what if I dropped him down the stairs or I threw him off of the balcony? Then what they'll do is they'll avoid balconies or they'll avoid the stairs. Um, I remember when we when when Eli, my son, was really young, and this happens to dads too. So this is an example about how my um, my husband experienced intrusive thoughts. We went out to eat for the first time since having our son, and he was maybe like six or seven weeks old. And the waiter positioned us right under this big, like, ceiling decoration. And it was, like, this big wooden wheel from a wagon or something. And he Mm -hmm. actually asked that we got moved because he kept having intrusive thoughts of the wheel, like, falling down and hitting and and hurting our son. So. Um, some other ones too are contamination. So especially with the pandemic going on right now, so lots of contamination based intrusive thoughts, like not wanting to get your baby sick, not wanting them to have any, um, like, like, you know, I'm all for people feeding their children, whatever it is that they want, but, it, but sometimes women can feel like, oh my gosh, they can't have anything with any chemicals and it has yeah. to be pure and it has to be this. And, and that's fine if that works for you. But if it doesn't work for you and you're still really anxious about it, then that might be something to get help for. Right. Um, just perfectionism, I think in general, you know, like wanting, feeling like we need to have the house perfectly clean or um, they need to be perfect as far as like getting the perfect toys and perfection can be just crazy for moms, especially. And then there's one area of intrusive thoughts that will probably trigger people just to even mention, so trigger warning, but I want to make it known because it's very common. It's actually one of the most common things that I see is sexual intrusive thoughts. So
1: I was just reading about that somewhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And people don't talk about it. So as, as difficult as it is already to talk about this stuff, then you get someone who has sexual intrusive thoughts and it's like, whoa, like no way. I'm not telling anybody about that. Um, I remember anytime that I give a lecture on this topic or anytime that I talk to like a mom's group about this topic, I always say this again, because they're not, this is the one subtype that they're probably not reading online. They're probably not hearing about, and I would never want a mom to be struggling with this and be like, well, there's still something terribly wrong with me. Like I, I can't change my son's diaper without thinking that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to him. Um, but that mm. happens. That happens. Sexual intrusive thoughts happen. It gets in the way of diaper changes and clothing changes and baths. Um, it's a real, it's a big issue. Um, so those are the intrusive thoughts. And then obviously with the intrusive thoughts, you'll have some compulsions or behaviors. So a big one is having other people do things for you. So like, no, 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 I can't give him a bath. Like I can't see his crotch. I can't see his private parts. Like dad has to do it. Um, avoiding things like staircases. Um, Googling is awful. So like Googling and asking Google, like, what's the perfect way to do things? Like, what's the consequence of having this ingredient as an infant? Um, Those are all things that, yeah, it can be really, really tricky to get out of that cycle. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.
1: Okay, so something I wanted to ask you about, because I just talked about this on Instagram the other day, and it was... Why moms wake up to the slightest stir at night, but we seem to feel like our partners who maybe didn't birth the child or dads just sleep through little sounds. Because I know for me when Milo just stirs or makes a sound, it it triggers this anxiety feeling in like throughout my entire body, and then it's like I'm at this heightened like state and then I can't fall back asleep for so long. Even though I know that he is totally fine, he's safe in his crib and he just, you know, woke up and is whining for 30 seconds or whatever it is. It's like now I can't fall asleep because it, it created that response in my body. Like I was talking about, like you, like when I'm going to think I'm going to rear end a car. Um, so why, why is that something that happens to so many moms?
0: So two things here that I think you're bringing up is one, the evolutionary piece. Like I'm sure there are exceptions out there, but I think across the board for the most part, moms are the ones who are going to be those like sensitive sleepers when it comes to their babies. Um, and dads are right there snoozing away. Like I, (laughs) I swear I, I, I woke up at every little thing, like any sniffle, any stir. Um, I was right there and I was like, zoomed in nothing could get me to go back to sleep and my husband would sleep during a, an epic temper tantrum if he could have um yeah. i think a lot of that is just our hard wiring right like society and like our our concepts of cultural expectations have changed in that, like, yes, dads are helping out more at night and they are taking over more of that responsibility, but our evolution takes a long time to catch up. And so our evolution as like being the primary caregivers and being the one who is ultimately tied mostly to the baby's survival, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um so that's the first piece I think is why unfortunately we are bound by our evolution, whether we like it or not. And then two, I think what you're experiencing and what so many other moms experience and me too, is what we call anxiety about anxiety. So, yes. so that is a thing. And as if anxiety isn't awful already, you can be anxious about being anxious. <laughs> um, we call yeah. we call it anxiety sensitivity and, um, so essentially, what I think happens, and this is at least my experience, you can verify or not, but I'm, I'm never really anxious about my son crying what I do get anxious about is all of the miscellaneous cognitive and emotional processes that go on with that. So like believing that I can't handle his tantrums, um, the impact of whatever parenting decision I make on him in that moment. I think about, well, should I be doing this? Like, should I be comforting him and just validating his emotions or should I be doing this instead? I saw that on Instagram and and then you're just kind of anxious about – then you're anxious because you don't know what you're doing and do I really have this motherhood thing down? And, like, you just work yourself up into such a tizzy because you're anxious about being anxious. So yeah, I think it's more of the, like, secondary kind of emotional and cognitive processes that happen for us as moms that we get anxious by, not necessarily the crying. Because I, especially as they get older, right, like, we kind of know their deal. Like, they're going to wake up and um, – we kind of know maybe with practice and with more confidence, like what their cries mean and how to handle them. But we still, like I said, we have these emotional and cognitive experiences that go along with them crying of like, I don't know if I can handle this tantrum. Like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, yeah. Do I, do I just sit there and listen to him or am I spoiling him? Like, should I give into the tantrum or should I not? Like, it's just all these secondary kind of processes.
1: Like internal struggles. I know for me, a lot of it is that it's the unknown. Mm -hmm. Like, is he gonna just. like fuss in his crib for 30 seconds and then fall back asleep for the rest of the night or is he gonna do this like every half hour from now on is he gonna like not fall back asleep and i'm gonna be up with him all night it's like Mm -hmm. it's like the unknown of even though like 95 percent of the time he just falls back asleep so quickly um it's it's the unknown and yeah that's so interesting the um The thing I wanted to ask about was because anxiety and OCD or intrusive thoughts are so common in postpartum. um, You know, I think more and more people are talking about these things um, on social media um, and and in blog posts and whatnot. So, if somebody is experiencing issues with anxiety or OCD, um, how would they determine whether or not it's something that is? like normal versus I need to seek treatment? Mm -hmm. Like what are the, the, like, how do you know if you've crossed that, that line?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and so what I would encourage moms or any listeners to judge based off of is try to do it less based on what you think is quote unquote normal. Um, and, and like comparing that with what you're doing, because we are never going to know or have a legitimate estimate of what's normal. Like I can't tell you how, what the normal amount is to be checking your baby at night. I can't tell you what the normal amount of, you know, whatever behavior is, we're never gonna know that. What I would encourage moms and listeners to be asking themselves for is like, how badly is this affecting my life? Um, so, like, how much are these symptoms interfering with my life and my happiness and my well being? Um, so, definitely looking more as far as interference. So, you know, emotionally, how is it interfering with you? um time wise like how much time is it taking from your day are there things that you want to be doing like you want to be able to go to your mom's house but you can't because she lives on a second floor condo and you're terrified of stairs um that would definitely be an interfering thing um just generally how much it's disturbing you in your day to day how much it's disturbing your family um ask yourself if it's interfering at all with your ability to take care of yourself or to take care of your baby like if you're constantly having, and I'm not saying don't divvy up the responsibilities at all. Like, I think if you have the privilege of a partner who's able to be present and all that, like definitely splitting up the the tasks there, I think is great. But I think it's different when you do that based in anxiety. So like, again, with the sexual intrusive thought example that I gave you, like, no, 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 I can't handle the, I can't handle the, the looking at the crotch. I can't handle them naked. So like dad has to take over. That's more of an anxiety and fear-based decision. And so my suggestion would be like when you start to realize that you're making a lot of decisions based in fear and just when it feels awful, like there's no – anxiety and OCD are so common and the treatment for it is more effective for OCD and anxiety than any other treatment for any other disorder. So um, ERP, which again is the treatment for it, it's the most effective treatment. It is awesome. And there are lots of opportunities to get better. If you just want to feel better, like the the help is available and it it works. It will be a total life changer, a total game changer for you. So rather than identifying like, is this normal or is this not normal? Just ask yourself how you're feeling, like how you really, truly believe your family is functioning. And if you want to be functioning better, I mean, therapy is awesome. It's like I said, going to therapy as a therapist was the best decision that I ever made for my family.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I always talk about is how when I, like I had so much experience with anxiety before having Milo. So I knew exactly what was happening when I started to get those like intense uh, anxiety uh, spells at night. And just like opening up to my husband and being like, yep, I'm having horrible anxiety right now. Like I'm, you know, and I would be crying and just telling somebody felt so good and then telling my parents like they would come over to visit and I would be like yeah like every night I'm like crying I'm having a like, really bad anxiety and then at the first um visit that we took Milo f- to our family physician I told her right away I remember her asking like okay and how are you doing and I just broke down crying And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. She had a medical student, of course, working with her that day. And I was like, of course, she has to listen to this. I just broke down crying. And she was like, oh my God, don't worry. Like, this is so normal. Um, And just kind of getting that validation and understanding that, you know, this, like right now, this was very typical. And if it didn't go away in, you know, one or two weeks, that. Like she was like, then come back and see me. And then we'll talk about like further like treatment options, like what we can do. Um, But yeah, just telling somebody and like taking that first step into um, talking about it and admitting what's going on really, really can help Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of get things rolling. And then you feel better about, you know, seeking treatment or whatever it might be. So the next thing that we'll talk about is treatment. So what does that look like in a therapy setting? But then also, you were saying that you had some practical tips for moms, um, and they can start doing them if they wanted to um, try and help themselves at home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, the best treatment for OCD and anxiety, and they're really similar. So whether you feel like it's just more general anxiety, or whether you're having these intrusive thoughts with the very clear compulsions, the treatment is really pretty similar, um, if not identical in a lot of cases. So that's going to be exposure and response prevention or ERP. Um, And like I said, that's the best treatment for OCD and anxiety. It's more effective for OCD and anxiety than any other treatment for any other disorder. So what ERP involves is essentially working with a therapist to systematically and gradually get yourself in these challenging or anxiety provoking situations that you would normally avoid or have to do like some ritual or safety behavior to get through. So for me, what the example what an example would have been with my son with the car example is I would have to drive for an identified period of time and I would not be able to phys- one physically get out of my car and check that he was in there. Two, I would have to make sure as much as I could not to check in the rearview mirror to make sure that he was there. And instead, I was just letting myself be anxious. So having that anxious experience, letting those feelings be there, Um, and not having to do these rituals or these safety behaviors to kind of manage that anxiety or to get rid of it. Other examples would be like the stairway, right? So if you're really fearful of the staircase, trying to like approach that staircase with your baby as much as possible. Um, There are tons of exposures that you could do for any type of like subtype or any type of anxiety that you're experiencing. And the treatment is the same regardless of if it's sexual intrusive thoughts that you're experiencing or if it's more um, just more general stuff like about the baby's well-being or about their Breathing at night, maybe you you work with your therapist to come up with some type of agreement. Like I'm only gonna I'm only gonna check the baby one time tonight, only one time. Um, and then you can obviously work with your therapist to try not to check at all. Um, but the big picture here is that you're doing these exposures, which are these anxiety provoking situations, and you're doing the ritual prevention and trying not to do these safety behaviors that you normally otherwise would have to do to make yourself feel better. And the idea there is that you just kind of ride it out, right? Like R I D E is kind of a, maybe a more practical way for people who, um, just day to day want to practice this stuff on their own. So knowing that your anxiety is going to go up and it's going to come down just like a wave. And what you need to do is just ride that wave. So whether it's, um, giving your son a bath with intrusive thoughts, or if it's, um, You know, turning off the video monitor, sitting with that uncertainty, like maybe they're crying, maybe they're not like maybe, maybe not. And I know that that's really hard for people for moms to kind of sit with. But it's hard also to be doing these behaviors all the time and to feel like an anxious mess. Um, so
1: is the idea that as you continue to do the exposure, your anxiety will lessen over time?
0: Yep, absolutely. So I think of it. I, I encourage resident, uh, you know, the people that I work with to think of it kind of like you when you jump into a pool. So when you jump into a pool, it's really, really cold at first, but as long as you stay in there, your body eventually gets used to it. It's not that the temperature of the water objectively changes. So it's not your external environment that's changing, it's your internal environment that's changing. And so it's all about putting yourself in these anxiety provoking situations, and just letting your emotions and your anxiety kind of run its course. And they will run their course. If anyone out there has ever had panic or really, really intense anxiety, normally afterwards, they feel exhausted. And what happens is, you know, your body will eventually calm down with the parasympathetic nervous system. You know, your what that means is so you're you're anxious, right? Like think about you whenever you're anxious about Milo, your sympathetic nervous system is going nuts, like fight or flight. It's going crazy. Your adrenaline is racing. Your eyes are widened. Um, your heart rate is going crazy. Your body is already trying to calm down. Like you might not be able to feel that yet, but that's that parasympathetic nervous system. That's your rest and digest. Now, what happens is we normally, being anxious and um, parents, right? Like we don't really have the patience to kind of like sit and let that naturally happen. What we do is we jump on Google or we check the video monitor or we ask our husbands to take care of something. Mm. What I work with people to do and what ERP will help moms do, will, will be to have them do this anxiety-provoking situation, feel their anxiety and let that be there. It might take a couple minutes, um, maybe like five, six, seven, or 10 minutes, but eventually just like being in a pool, it comes down all on its own. Mm -hmm. And It's really, really a cool process.
1: Hmm. And so I just, just in case people don't realize, um, like OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And I just wonder if you could speak a little bit about like what what those entail. Like there's the obsession and then there's the compulsion. And like to give an example Mm -hmm. of what the obsession would would be and then the compulsion and kind of how the compulsion is to lessen the anxiety that you're feeling.
0: Yep. So, yep. Like you said, all accurate so far. So with OCD, there's going to be very clearly some obsessions, which are going to be um, very repetitive. They're disturbing they can be ideas thoughts images or impulses so you might have images of you know accidentally or even purposefully throwing your baby down the stairs you might actually have urges to do that like that really scares people because it feels again like what is wrong with me yeah what it's my responsibility that I had that so obsessions can come in the form of ideas thoughts urges or impulses um compulsions, then usually what happens is we feel so anxious by those obsessions that we want to do this compulsion, which is just usually a behavior, but it can also be a mental kind of act. There are things called mental compulsions as well. So what that would be is avoiding the staircase, um, you know, having other people do things for you, maybe washing your hands excessively or cleaning excessively, so the obsession in the staircase example would be, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw them down the stairs. The compulsion would be avoiding the stairs. Yeah. Um, the obsession about um, another, so the obsession about the, the example of my son in the car, the obsession would be like, what if you left him somewhere? The compulsion would be checking the uh, rearview mirror to make sure that he was there. Hearing, like checking in with my hearing to make sure that I could still hear him, and then two, physically, obviously uh, pulling the car over and physically checking to make sure that I could still feel him. So those are just some examples, Um, but like I said, it could be more general too. So maybe just like a little bit of anxiety sprinkled across a whole range of issues. So you could be worrying a lot about the baby's health, um, whether they're they're breathing. Worrying a lot about finances too is really, um, really common. Going back to work, like. That's really difficult for moms too, worrying about what's going to happen with a caregiver or what's going to happen at daycare. So these are all things that you can work on with a therapist uh, to work on via exposure work. And it's going to be anxiety provoking at first, but it is super effective and it's really empowering to to learn that your anxiety doesn't dictate everything. Right.
1: So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the helpful and practical things that um, people can do at home right now. You had a little yeah, bit absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think a lot of things that trip moms up, well, first and foremost, I think the most important thing is for moms to get educated and to hear podcasts like this and to follow healthy, you know, relatable content on social media. I'm careful to say that because I think you can also follow people on social media who are not good for your OCD and anxiety, who uh, perpetuate this idea that like every picture has to be perfect and your house has to be perfect. and. Yeah you know, no screen time and whatever. Um, so but there are good accounts out there and good people to follow like you, you make content that's relatable, you share things that moms usually aren't able or willing to say. Um, so you kind of like crack open the can for other moms to be able to come out and, and, ex- and, you know, acknowledge their experience. So as far as practically just becoming more educated, like knowing that, these are normal experiences, quote unquote. Of course, you your anxiety can kind of take it and make a crisis out of it, like I've said. But again, as far as intrusive thoughts go, and as far as some increase in anxiety goes, I think that's the normal when it comes especially to motherhood. So knowing that these experiences can be normal and are widely experienced, it's not personal to you. Like You're not doing anything wrong. You're not crazy. Um, I think Sometimes people get the idea from like the media and the awful portrayal of postpartum issues. Like those are the postpartum psychosis cases that you hear about in the news or on the media. And it's not like that all the time. Um, So other than education, I think too, what moms can do is to, to check these, what we call cognitive distortions. So cognitive distortions are these like mental mind games or mind tricks that your mind plays on you. Some examples of these would be like all or nothing thinking like um, I'm either a really, really great mom or I'm awful, like not understanding or acknowledging that probably we're somewhere in the middle. Right. Like we're probably doing okay, maybe some room for progress, but we're not awful either. Um, We might do a lot of catastrophizing. So again, like, oh my gosh, I can't really see if my child is breathing on the camera. Okay. Obviously they have died, right? Like I can't see them breathing on the camera, just making mountains out of molehills essentially. So that's what catastrophizing is. And then I think the other big one is probability overestimation. So with OCD and anxiety, there's always uncertainty there's always some uncertainty that something bad could happen like our a baby dying from sids or us yeah accidentally losing our our minds and throwing the baby down the stairs like uh, everything is uncertain we can't say 100% certainty with anything But what we do, especially as moms, and especially when anxiety and OCD are in the mix, we tend to overestimate the probability that something bad is going to happen or has happened. And so one, I think becoming educated about those distortions and two, knowing and like logically being able to kind of check those like, whoa, am I really being as logical as I could about this situation? this is what my mind is probably doing right now. Like what's a more neutral or more realistic way to evaluate this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Along the lines of ERP too. Like I think you definitely can. And I would advocate for it to find a a, a therapist who's trained in ERP and working, especially maybe even with moms, that would be the ideal situation. Um, But if you're not in the position where you're able or willing to get treatment yet, you can still kind of live the lifestyle. So Do the things that scare you, like do these anxiety provoking things and try not to do these safety behaviors that you would normally do otherwise. So walk by the stairs, give your kid the bath um, as hard as it might be it's also hard and it's going to continue to gain speed if you continue to give into the anxiety and the OCD in that way. Mm -hmm. So trying to do these anxiety provoking things as you can, trying to reduce and, and get rid of these, you know, safety behaviors as you can. And then the last thing I think would be to find a supportive community. There is something special about the motherhood research that suggests that above and beyond any other kind of group therapeutically, support from other moms is crucial and it has to be the right support so you have to find a tribe who you feel comfortable with you have to find a tribe who you feel like you can be your authentic self around who you can share these intimate experiences with and be vulnerable with and they can be like yeah girl me too um So I would totally 100% advocate for finding that group or finding a person who you can resonate with and connect with. Um, I know it's really hard right now because of the pandemic, but I know a lot of um, therapists who are really trying to do like online Zoom groups with people, Um, even if it's like a Facebook community or some people on Instagram, the right accounts, I think will bring a lot of solidarity to women. And there's just something about that supportive community that lowers that shame, that lowers that feeling of guilt and normalizes these experience a little bit more for moms, which can mean a world of difference in their postpartum experience. Yeah,
1: 100. I totally agree. That's always what I say. Like I had two really good friends who both had babies right around uh, the time that I had Milo. And we were like, we had a group text chat going all the time. And like, if I was crying at 10 p.m. because, you know, my husband wasn't home and Milo was throwing tantrums, it's like I was talking to them and it was so helpful. And it there was never and like you said, it has to be the right kind of support. Like just because someone has a baby doesn't mean that they're going to be able to offer you the kind of support that you need. It has to be someone who is you know, understanding and not judgmental and, you know, willing to help or at least just hear you out and agree like, yeah, like this really sucks sometimes. And Mm -hmm. there's not going to be some magical answer for everything. You know, it's kind of like when you are going through a really difficult time and people are like, oh, yeah, but have you tried this? Like we did this and it worked fine. And it's like, that's not what Mm -hmm. I need to hear right now. (laughs) That's not helping.
0: Um, I know. It's like when you're, when you go to someone hoping that they can just like resonate with you a little bit and then they end up giving you advice and it's like, now I just feel a million times worse.
1: Yes. It's like, don't like, that's not what I want. Just tell me like, yes, this sucks. Like sometimes it sucks and it's so hard, but like tomorrow's another day. And like, you know, if you need to cry, just cry. Do you want me to come over? Like I was having a horrible day like a few Saturdays ago and I was like crying and my husband was at the hospital all day. He wasn't home. And my friend was like, Do you want me to come over right now and bring you a latte? Like, I will come over. And I was like, No, I just want to be by myself. <laughs> And she was like, no, like, seriously, like, I will come over. <laughs> and it's like, that's exactly what I want. I don't want you to try and fix my problem. I just want you to be like, yeah, you're having a really bad
0: day. Like, do you want a latte? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. yeah as, a, as a therapist, I am a natural problem solver. And I'm always that person, like, how can I help you? Like, what, well, let's figure this out. Let's talk through this and we can figure it out. And then I became a mom. And now I hate advice. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want your advice. I just want you to like, let me say how awful this feels and just let me have that space and hold that space for me. So I think that's what moms need. And I know that there are some moms out there listening and, and like you experience them all the time. I'm sure like on your comments, like, well, it's not that hard for me. That's okay. Like every, the, that's okay. Like that's your experience. And mine is still hard. Like Exactly. It's yeah. Like we all struggle with different time periods, right? Like I I did not like the newborn stage at all, but I really like the toddler stage. Mm. Um, other women are completely flip-flopped and different. And like you can have your experience where you think everything is easy and motherhood is great. Mine still wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> like we can have those experiences and have them coexist at the same time. And I talk about this a lot on my Of platform, like this is something that I learned way too late in the game in motherhood, which is that you can experience two emotions at the same time. Like you can be grateful and devastated, you can be. Really happy that you have this wonderful baby because you know so many women who struggle with infertility, and you're so grateful for them. And you can also be mourning the life that you had before. Like you can experience two things at the same time, and that's okay. The same way that we can have two different experiences at the same time and have that be okay. We just have to, we're in it together. And as much as we want that support, we have to make sure we're giving that support to other moms too.
1: Yeah, totally. So, Lastly, or somewhat lastly, I thought you could share with us your resources, um, for moms that you would recommend.
0: Yeah. So there are three books that absolutely changed my life. And unfortunately I got to them, I think just a little bit too late. Um, so the first book is, um, how to not hate your husband after kids. Um, I believe the author is Jancy Dunn and it totally changed my life and, The title is kind of misleading because I think it's more about like the evolutionary differences between like why moms are the way that they are and why paternal figures are the way that they are. Like all the things that we've kind of talked about um, at least touched on in this episode, which is like, yeah, why do moms wake up all the time and dads don't? And it just gives you a little bit better of an understanding. It's not that the dad usually doesn't care. It's that there are our bodies haven't caught up with. You know, our evolution hasn't caught up yet with all these cultural differences. So um, How to Not Hate Your Husband After Kids is a really good one. Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts by Karen Kleinman is also awesome. Um, Even if you just like Google Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, you'll see a bunch of like the little drawings and illustrations. And it's all about intrusive thoughts and what exactly are the kind of day-to-day manifestations of that. And again, it's just really nice as a mom to see that that exists somewhere else other than in your own brain. Again, that reduces the shame and reduces the guilt that you experience as a result of that. And then another one by her, um, I believe, is dropping the baby and other scary thoughts. So again, all all, all things more in depth that we've talked about here. Um, but The experience of these intrusive thoughts, especially as it relates to motherhood and early parenting, Um, that can be really, really scary. But the book will definitely give you some really good context for these thoughts. Um, If you're struggling and wanting to find a therapist, then I would absolutely recommend the International OCD Foundation, so IOCDF.org. You can search for therapists in your area and you want to be sure that you have a therapist trained in OCD and anxiety. The worst thing that someone can do is to just go and get talk therapy. Mm. That kind of um, talk therapy, when I say talk therapy, I refer to more like just supportive therapy and I'm here for you and, and all of that. Yes, we want that from our friends, but we don't want that from our therapist because anxiety is so behaviorally based you really need a behavioral kind of treatment. And if you're just getting the talk therapy and the supportive therapy, the back and forth, you might be temporarily feeling better, but as long as there's not that behavioral change, like giving the baby the bath, not avoiding the staircase. Like, if you just talk about everything and you don't behaviorally challenge those things at home, nothing will end up changing in the long term. Yeah. So, you want to make sure that you have a really good OCD and anxiety therapist. Um, for mom support in particular, postpartum support international, um, postpartum.net is really good. So, that's the PSI. Um, again, they'll help you find therapists in your area who are trained in postpartum issues. I think the right social media content on Instagram can be really critical. Um, finding moms who you can relate with and again, finding that tribe. And then the last, it's not really a resource, but a, a kind of a tip would be to advocate for yourself. I'm so glad that you had a really like good transition talking to your doctor about everything. Mm-hmm. My experience was terrible. Like I had to, when I broke down to my doctor and I said that I was struggling for the first time, the response I got from my doctor was that I should just give my son his binky. Um and so I had to be like, "No, I'm literally crying in the shower 3 days a week. Like, I cannot continue to do this." Um who like was your doctor?
1: I, I'm just curious. Was your doctor a, ma- a male or a female?
0: It was a female OBGYN, which was wild to me. Wow. Um yeah. And so and I'm a therapist, right? Like and she knew that. So I was just floored again like if this is my struggle, if this is how much I'm having to advocate for myself, like I can't let other women do this.
1: See, and the issue with um, that is like, now imagine you didn't know everything that you know, and you weren't, right. you know, like a specialist in OCD and anxiety. And you just, you know, it took you like two weeks to finally open up to your physician about struggles that you were having. And that's their response. Like as someone who yeah. is not well-versed in this area, how shitty now do you feel? And of course, it's gonna just like perpetuate your feelings about not wanting to open up to people about it, because mm-hmm. like yeah. like that is that is like rage inducing.
0: Mm-hmm. And then even further, this is this is like even gonna be more rage inducing. So <laughs> imagine coming out to a doctor or anybody who's not well versed in OCD and anxiety and saying that you're having thoughts about you know, wanting to do something sexually to your baby, or w- that you have intrusive thoughts about your baby, and you think about stabbing them with a knife, like, yeah, the maternal health system fails us every day. And so my goal is to, like, help moms feel empowered to be like, no, this is OCD, because it's ego dystonic, <laughs> which essentially just means like, it's inconsistent with your values. Right. So yeah, because I remember when I started when I shared some of my intrusive thoughts, you know, just to cover their own butts, of course, as physicians, they have to say like, well, have you ever wanted to harm your child? And I said, no, but so many other women, like that's what they're struggling with. They're having intrusive thoughts that they're going to harm their baby. So if they were to say yes, imagine the alarms that are going to pop off with that, right? Like we need to be more armed as moms and as providers, hopefully, that just because moms say that they're struggling with this, it doesn't mean that they want to. That means like this could harm intrusive thoughts with OCD are very, very real. And we need moms to be able to come forward and talk about it. And so what's the, I'm
1: just curious, like I know you're in the U S and I'm in Canada, so maybe it's different, but like, what is the protocol for a physician who has, you know, a patient come in and say something like that? Because Clearly, they're not specialists in this area, and they're not psychologists to be able to kind of screen for certain things. So, so what what do they do? Because you know, the odd chance that someone does come into their office and say something uh, like they're having harm harmful thoughts, um, and then something bad ends up happening, it's like where do you like they're not they're not prepared to deal with that. So, what like what is their protocol for that?
0: So they will ask, um, like I said, as more of a reason to just to cover their own butts and to have it on doc on a document. Um, so they will ask. And so if if a mom out there is listening and they, you know, do want to talk to their doctor more about it, ideally they'll have a doctor who is well versed, like a psychiatrist who is more well versed in mental health and O C D and anxiety, but even then, I can't promise that they would know about harm intrusive thoughts and OCD and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um and so what they'll do is they'd probably ask about, you know, the thoughts and have you ever thought about this? Um, and then they'd probably get into legitimate history, like, well, have you ever, you know, hurt them or harmed them? Um, and then probably what they would do is they would schedule a consult. I have heard of several women who have been struggling significantly with harm intrusive thoughts, and they are sure that they have harm intrusive thoughts, like they know that they have OCD, they are disturbed about OCD. So the thing about OCD, especially the harm intrusive thoughts and even the sexual intrusive thoughts too, like these are the people who are the least likely to commit these crimes. Like these are the people who remove all the knives from their house because they're so terrified that they're going to lose their minds and go crazy. Mm -hmm. These are the people who are the least likely to do anything sexual with their children because they're so terrified of even changing their diaper. They avoid it and they wait until dad gets home. Mm. Like... That's what we mean by ego dystonic. Right. So like you have the thought, but it's ego dystonic. It's inconsistent with your values. You don't like it. The people who end up acting on these thoughts, you know, people who legitimately do hurt their kids or do legitimately like sexually molest their children, they have those thoughts and they like them. Right. So the people with OCD and anxiety and true harm intrusive thoughts or true sexual intrusive thoughts, they're the least likely, right? Like they are avoidant of anything re- even remotely related to do with those acts. So- it's important for moms to know that that is their, if that is their experience to be able to share that and be like, no, actually I was listening to this lady, this OCD <laughs> and anxiety specialist about OCD and anxiety. And these, these are harm intrusive thoughts in OCD and anxiety. And I'm experiencing ego dystonic thoughts right now. Um, But yeah, your, your best bet is to go to a therapist, like absolutely go to a therapist who's well-versed in, in this stuff. Unfortunately, at least here and in, in my experience the doctors like the primary care physicians it's just not a good first line of of action unfortunately yeah
1: and i know for me and i'm sure it's the exact same thing for you know if someone was dealing with anxiety like in postpartum i remember like i had such bad anxiety that i was going to drop out of school and i was like i don't want to drop out of school but i can't do it like this and i went to my family physician And, like, to get in to see a therapist was at least a three-month wait. And I was like, I can't Mm -hmm. wait three months because, like, I'm going to drop out of school. So that's why I went on the medication. And, uh, like, it just frustrates me so much. And it's like, unless you're in this, uh, like, crisis where you have to go to the emergency room and, like, be admitted, it's so hard, at least in Canada, to get help. Like, you know, like it's like you need to be really struggling before you can actually see somebody, which is yeah, so frustrating. Absolutely. And, and like you said, like if OBGYNs or family physicians are the ones that are seeing women in postpartum, then they should be well versed in all of this stuff and be screening for it and ask about it. And, you know, and it's just not there yet, which is so frustrating.
0: Mm -hmm. And I I hope some physicians and some OB-GYNs are listening and they're like, no, 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 that's, I don't like, I, I hope that that's not globally the case. Like, but in my experience,
1: and I hate that because I always speak about the healthcare system. And like I always make it a point to say, like I was very lucky. Like my family doctor was like a female. She was about my age. She she had two young kids herself, and she totally understood like all the struggles that I was having. Um, and it was very easy for me to talk to her and open up to her. But I know not everyone has that that same experience, and it's just like you just wish that healthcare and like the protocols for dealing with women in postpartum were. Like the same across the board, and everyone had the same positive experience. But unfortunately, that's not
0: the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, even at best, right, like unless you advocate for more, you go from everyone saying like, oh, my gosh, like, how are you feeling? Like they are checking on you constantly, especially in the hospital. And then you go, boom, six weeks without anything. Yeah. The checkup at six weeks is very brief. They give you, if anything, at best, a postpartum depression screen, which is a huge, huge problem. But with all the research that I've done, anxiety is way more common. We should be testing for both. And there are so many errors that can take place, especially in the motherhood realm and and shame. Like people aren't honest on a lot of those assessments. They're embarrassed and they're shameful. I had to beg my provider to give me a postpartum anxiety screen. I literally said, you're going to ask me she was taking me through the postpartum depression screen. And I said, I, it, you're going to score me on this and I'm not going to hit. If you give me the anxiety screen of the same exact questionnaire, which I know exists, I will, I will score it clinically. Yeah. <laughs> and so she did. But It's like, why do I have to advocate for that? Like moms yeah. who do not have my background would never know to do that. And the fact that I had to like, my i guess my general moral of the story here is like you may have to advocate for yourself unfortunately and that doesn't say anything about you that is nothing to do with you it has everything to do with the system yeah. and it's still so worth it to to make the steps and try to get better yeah
1: totally agree okay so lastly where can people find you your social media your
0: podcast your website Yeah. So if any of you enjoyed, uh, anything that we talked about here, I talk about so much more anxiety and OCD related content and just mental health in general, definitely a lot of postpartum support, um, over at my Instagram, which is at jenna.overbaugh. And then I do also have a website with lots of good resources on there. Also a good um, email newsletter with weekly challenges and all other good stuff on there. So that's at jennaoverbaugh.com. Um, You can also find me on my podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms. It's called All the Hard Things, and I have so much fun with it, and I had so much fun with you today. So definitely, yeah, check me out. Come in, get some more info. Like I said, there's going to be lots of, there's already tons of OCD and anxiety related content and a lot for moms too. I also, on my podcast, um, I have what's called an Anonymous series where I actually interview anonymously moms at various stages of postpartum. Um, and they share kind of their deepest and darkest moments with me. They're really intimate conversations about postpartum anxiety and postpartum trauma. Um, lots of good stuff that people generally don't talk about. So if you are in the mode of just like needing that solidarity, definitely check out that podcast. Again, it's all the hard things. And you'll just have to look for the Anonymous series episodes so many awesome women, so many awesome stories. I
1: love that idea. That's so awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. I just want to make it clear that all your resources that you talked about, like the books and also all your platforms and your podcasts, like I'm going to have links to absolutely everything in the episode notes. So if you guys are curious, go and check out the notes. Um, So yeah, other than that, thank you so much for talking to us. This was such a good conversation and I've been waiting to do an episode on anxiety. And when you asked me,
0: I was like, oh my God, yes. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. And yeah, you guys can, we can all do it. We're all in it together. It's, there's light at the end of the tunnel for sure.